Amen. Thank you. I appreciate the presence of the Lord that's here. My mind goes back to um, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the presence of the Lord and where he chooses to uh, manifest his presence. And it can be anywhere. This is just a building. We sanctify this building. We try to keep it, keep it sanctified. All that simply means is we don't allow what goes on out there to go on in here. That's our, that's our hope, our plan. To sanctify something means to set it apart. It doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't follow after the same things that an unsanctified object, whether that be a person, a place, um, it's sanctified, meaning that I've used this uh, analogy, I think, before. You guys can't see it, but on that microphone stand, it looks like there's five microphones. And they are all together right here. Right? Now, according to this analogy, none of these microphones are sanctified or set apart because they're all lumped together. So this is, this is going to be very elementary. But to sanctify it would literally mean to take this and just move it over here. Now the act of what I just did set apart that microphone from the rest. That's simple. It's a concept that we're talking about. So when we talk about to be sanctified, it means to be set apart. Another term for that would be separated. You know, the, the term church does not refer to a building. When we see the word church in the Bible, it's always referring to a group of people. And that group of people, they, they're called church. And the term for that is those who are called out. Called out from what? Whatever it is they were associated with. If I called out that microphone and said, microphone, you better get over here where I just put you. That is now a church in the, in the Greek, okay? It is a called out thing. So that's what we are. That's why we sanctify ourselves. I want every aspect of my, my life and myself and my person to be sanctified. To be set apart. In one passage it says to be meat for the master's use. If the master wants to use something, he's going to look for something that's meat for his use. Or acceptable to him. One scripture says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God. So, 
He's the one that determines whether something is acceptable or not. We follow his instruction to do our part. And then he comes along. There's, there's parts of Scripture that say sanctify yourselves. And then there are parts of Scripture that says he sanctifies so part of this is my job and your job. It's an action. It's a, it's, a, it's a group of actions that we take to sanctify ourselves. But really all that I'm doing in that regard is trying to make myself acceptable to him. According to his plan, according to his will. That I might become meat for his use. Is that your desire? I think if I just simply said how many of us want the Lord to use us, we would raise our hands and say, yes, that's my desire. Well, to, you, to be used of God means you've got to be meet for his use. You've got to be acceptable to him. That's our desire. Amen? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. It's one of my favorite verses when I was a Bible quizzer, because it's only three words long. I could, I could memorize that one. See, it takes longer to write out the name of the verse and the numbers and all that than it does to write the, the Bible verse. First Thessalonians 5, 17. It says, pray without ceasing. There are a multitude of ways of rephrasing that verse, rewording that verse. Um, if you've got parallel Bibles or look up different translations, they all kind of word it differently. Um, pray always. Always be praying. Don't stop praying. So there's many ways of saying what that scripture says to pray without ceasing. Um, what I think of when I hear that is, I'm not supposed to stop praying. Prayer is supposed to be something I'm always doing. So if it is something I'm supposed to always be doing, then in my mind, if I've got concepts of what it means to pray, and if I, we use this term, pigeonhole prayer, Everybody familiar with that term, pigeonhole? We don't use that one very often. Picture a bird box. Okay, it's a, a big box. But it's, it's, got a, it's, just got, it's got four walls, top and the bottom. And it's, but it's just one little hole that they could get inside. Right? That's the way into the bird box. So that's called a pigeonhole. That's a little segue. So if I have pigeonholed what prayer means... And this whole thing represents prayer, but the only way to get into there is through this one way, one method. Then I will seem kind of strange to try and fulfill this verse, to always be praying. Because I've, if I think to pray means to get down on my knees, how can I always be praying when I'm driving a car? 
if I think to pray means to always close my eyes, how are you going to go through a day of work and still fulfill this scripture? This scripture is a command, okay? So how are you going to fulfill that command if you think you always have to have your eyes closed? Or you have to always be speaking out loud? Or any number of these things that we, we think of as prayer, and they are all attributes and different things that we pray in different ways at different times. But the point is, you need to have a life of prayer so that it doesn't start and stop. Not, there, there's an old uh, hymnal, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And um, not to pick on that hymnal, but if we relegate prayer to a time, then again, we're not fulfilling this scripture of always praying, to pray without ceasing. Look at John chapter 15, verse 5. The Lord's going to give us a little bit of a hint, a little bit of a clue here as to how we might fulfill 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. So he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, everyone say abideth. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Next verse. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned simply because that branch did not abide in the vine, in the tree. It, it, it dries up, it gets withered, it gets thrown into a fire. Next verse. If ye abide in me. Verse, the, the previous verse was if you don't abide in me, this is what's going to happen. So here in verse 7 it says, if you do abide in me. You shall ask. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. The only way to be abiding in him and his words not to be abiding in you is if you don't speak. Okay? Where, those are, uh, let me break that down for just a minute. He's, he, he gives two qualifiers. First is if you abide in me. That speaks, that speaks of how you, what I talked about in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, a life of prayer, a life lived in him. It, it's speaking of, a, of a, a location in him. If you abide in me, if, if your life is in me, you meet the first qualification here. Secondly, if my words abide in you. Now, I really don't, I, I don't know how someone could abide in him without his words abiding in them. Because if you abide in him and then you speak, you're speaking his words. If you abide in him and you speak. 
So that's what I was saying. But that's what I meant when I said the only way to not be speaking his words, his words not be abiding in you, is if you don't, if you don't talk. So if you abide in me and my, my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So this is an insight as to how I might always be praying, to pray without ceasing, to always be abiding in him. Because if I'm abiding in him, the moment I open my mouth to speak, his words are going to be abiding in me. And what I speak, therefore, will be his words. And, and therefore, since they are his words, what I speak, it shall be done. So the praying without ceasing is the abiding in him. It's where I choose to live. It's how I choose to live. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I admit I've heard this scripture. I've read this scripture. I even Bible quizzed on this scripture. But as I was studying this and just reading it before service, I started to see something here. 1 Timothy 2 and 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, sometimes, like I, I, I broke apart 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and I said you can make it, you can say it different ways. Always be praying, don't stop praying, never stop praying, pray without ceasing. Okay, so that's kind of a, I'm saying the same thing in multiple ways. Now, in this verse, I personally have interpreted that incorrectly at times to think that he's speaking geographically. I want all the men that are everywhere to lift up holy hands. To pray. And, and, and so in my mind, I hear that I would that men pray everywhere and I think okay that means whether I'm in Yakima or whether I'm in California or whether I am in New York or I'm across the ocean in England everywhere I I want all the men everywhere to do this I'm not saying that that's not true but I am going to tell you that's not what this scripture is saying what this scripture is saying is I want men to pray everywhere I will that men pray everywhere. Not, I will that men pray when they go to church. I will that men pray when they get home. I will that men pray, and then you you put a qualifying geographical location on that. So he's saying, everywhere you go, I want you to pray. This is the Apostle Paul that's writing here, okay, to Timothy. And he's giving Timothy his desire The Apostle Paul is also the one that wrote 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. So for him to say pray without ceasing and for him to say pray everywhere, he's saying the same thing. I would that men pray 
everywhere. Now, this even still is not summed up by saying everywhere you go, you should be praying. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Because the complete thought here is pray everywhere regardless of circumstance, regardless of your state of mind, regardless of how you're feeling. So praying everywhere is praying in all things. I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't even pretend to be one. Okay? All I know is simply what I can see when I look up verses like this. And so where it says everywhere, the translation is in all things, in all places. So he's saying you don't have an excuse to not pray. If you're sick, you still need to pray. If you're hungry, you still need to pray. If you're tired, you still need to pray. If you're happy and you're ecstatic because it's Christmas morning and the living room is full of presents, you still need to pray. When the bank account is full, you need to pray. When the bank account is empty, you need to pray. When it's just (laughs) fair to Midland. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that term. Then you need to pray. There is not a state, a time, a condition, a place where the Apostle Paul is given an excuse to not pray. When he says, I will that men pray everywhere. Now. That's giving you the meaning of the scripture. To delve into it a little bit further. If I just simply examine, why would I not pray? What's a time? What's an event? What's a place? What's a, um, an occurrence where I am not praying? Because if I am in such a state, in such a condition, or in such a place, that me personally, I cannot pray, then I guarantee you God did not put me in that place. He's not going to put you somewhere that you cannot pray. Now, he put me in the courthouse. And he has not given me the liberty to, on my breaks during the day, stand in the corner and preach Acts 2.38 to all those that pass by. Okay? Don't, don't take what I'm saying out of context. But he has not said, boy, every time you get in there, you better not open your mouth. Don't even think about the scripture. You're going to get, okay. He, does, he hasn't said that. So he's not put me in a place where I cannot pray. He will not put you in a place where you cannot pray. Oh, but every time we go over to this family member's house, 
and we get there around them and, and their issues and, and, and that, I just, I don't feel the Lord. He's like it's a million miles away. And, and I just know that if I started to, to even talk about the Lord, think about the Lord, they're going to be all up on my case. Then one of two things needs to happen. You either need to leave or you need to address that situation. Because you are not intended to stay there and not be able to pray. If you're in a state where you cannot pray, God did not put you there. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I like, I hope this is okay with you. I like to open the, the, the window into my mind the best that I can when I can to give you my honest misconceptions of Scripture or just my misunderstandings of Scripture. Because when I learn something, I want to be able to share that. I want you to learn it as I've learned it because I, it's true. I thought, because we read in English, I thought effectual fervent prayer were two different adjectives. What do adjectives do? Defining the way that the man was praying. Explaining the way that, okay, he's got, his prayer's got to be effectual and his prayer's got to be fervent. And I, really no, neither of those words are in my vocabulary, vocabulary that I use frequently. So I can tell you the scripture says they better be effectual and they better be fervent, but I can't tell you what in the world that means. So then I would look on the flip side of the scripture and say they availeth much. Okay, my prayer is not availing much, so it's not effectual or it's not fervent because it's not fulfilling what the scripture says. I still haven't learned what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to quote scripture. And if I quote it loud enough, long enough, hard enough, strong enough, it's got to be true and then somebody's going to understand it. Sorry. Segway, brief segue. We, we had a customer service training a couple of months ago where uh, they brought in a specialist and, and taught us how to deal with people. And um, this is one of the things that, that stuck out to me. Um, because we, we live in a multicultural community, and there's two primary languages spoken here, English and Spanish. And then there are some additional languages thrown in there as well. The majority of people only speak one or the other, at least speak it well. And what they said was, 
we're talking about, okay, in the business world, okay, or at least in the, in the customer service world. You're not going to get your point across by elevating your volume. They're not going to understand your language any better if you say it louder. You have to go down the hall. Okay? You have to go down the hall. No speaking English. You have to go down the hall. It doesn't make sense in the business world. It doesn't make sense in the church. I'm, I, I'm just trying to get the point across of what James is saying here, okay? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's a mouthful, but it doesn't, it doesn't really compute with our minds other than it sounds like some people are doing it right and some people are doing it wrong. Because you look at the end result and say, is it availing much or is it not? And if it's not, why isn't it one of these two things? You've got to scrap that whole concept to really get what he's talking about here because the end what he's actually talking about here is not how to produce results in your prayers not how to get your prayers answered better i i'm admitting to you i i would think that's what it is based on how i've read it based on how i've heard it preached you're not getting the answer you want you need to put this verse into action because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much okay preacher if you say so you ever heard that if you say so that's code for i didn't catch that but you said it and you seem convinced so we'll believe, we'll believe that. We'll lean on that. Effectual fervent is one word. We're going back to the Greek here again, okay? Because the, this is New Testament. It's written originally in the Greek language. So effectual fervent is one word in the Greek, and it means to be at work to be operative, to be working, okay? Effectual fervent means to be operative. So, my prayer, when it's operative, when it's operative, when it's working, when, it, when would it not be working? If you go back through the, what we've just talked about here, if it's his words abiding in you and you're speaking them and they're working because the scripture says they're working, then when they would not be working is when you're not speaking them. His word will not return void. It will not return empty, unproductive, unfruitful, if it's his word. Scripture says it will accomplish that which I've sent it to do. It's his word. 
So I speak that word and I believe it's accomplished. It will be done. It's correct. So effectual fervent means as I'm speaking it, as it's operative, when my prayer is being spoken, when it's in operation. There's no volume on that. There's no uh, length of time on that. It's simply when it's operative. Now, I'm going to pause here and say, we need to pray the way he wants us to pray when he wants us to pray it. If I... If there was a fire in my house and I had kids upstairs and I told one of the kids, I got their attention now, here we go. And I told one of the kids, go up there and tell your brothers and sisters that there's a fire and they got to get out right away. And they don't do it the way I expect them to do it. And they kind of just, you know, up the handrail. Look in this room. No, they're not in there. Go over here. Look in this. Oh, there you are. Hey, um, hey, the house is on fire. Dad wanted me to come tell you. So, uh, and he wants you to go downstairs. Back down the stairs. Nope. Sorry, that's not going to cut it. So, I, if I have a word that I, as the father, want to be spoken, then I have a way that I want it to be spoken. In that case, it's urgency. Speak this with urgency. In fact, you wait right here, and I'm going to deal with this from right here. I can, I can get the volume that I need to. Now, I don't always want that tone to be spoken in my house. If it's only time for two to get up at 7 a.m., I promise you, I do not want them running around the house yelling. Dad said, get up. It's time to wake up. No, that is not how I want that message to be delivered. Not in that tone, not with that sense. I want it to accomplish what I want it to accomplish. And I only want it to accomplish what I want it to accomplish. I don't... (laughs) So, to, so what we're talking about, effectual, fervent prayer, is the operating of the prayer. That prayer, and I, uh, I okay, time out. I say that prayer as if there, it's an alternative to another type of prayer. If there's another type of prayer, I don't know it. So, I'm, I, I, I'm stopping myself right here to say that prayer. That is the prayer. It's not always the same. But, but prayer. Effectual, fervent prayer. Availeth much. So... What I, t- what I also tend to think of when I hear that scripture is, 
Go around and look for the guys that have the best results and conclude that they are praying the best prayers. Because if there's much availing, then it's muchly fervent and greatly effectual. And time out, that's not it. Because we, we, this is just a flaw of our human nature, all of us. We view results as the way to measure the prayer. And if you follow that down the line, we view results as the way to measure the God behind the prayer. And God's doing great things over there through that guy that must be praying great prayers. Because look at all the great things that are being done. And then I want to jump to this scripture and say, he must be the effectual, fervent type of prayer. If I could just get a, get a nice video of how he prays and duplicate that. Because he's, he's got the effectual, fervent method. Effectual fervent is not a method, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. Effectual fervent is not a method. It's not a step-by-step program or process. It is, is the prayer being prayed? When and how it should be prayed? If so, it availeth much. It prevails greatly. There is, what that simply means is there's nothing that's going to stop that prayer. If I have a need and I request prayer for that need, I want the correct prayer to be prayed for that need. Now, problem is, I have a visual in my head and an audio in my ears of how I expect the correct prayer to sound and look like. And if that's not met, I immediately think, great, my need's not going to be met. I just want the prayer that's supposed to be prayed to be prayed. Because I know nothing is going to stop that prayer. That's what it means when it says it availeth much. It prevails and it prevails greatly. One more passage I want us to look at. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans 8:26 Likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but this Man, this is just this is just me having to stop and, and, and confess as I go along here. 
I don't know why it takes um, it takes a great desperation to produce this type of prayer oftentimes. Desperation. Because the scripture says, the spirit helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And to me, I think, I've got to reach a point of desperation before I can see that realized in myself and my own praying. Uh, I'm, uh, my mind goes back to times when I know I've reached this stage of prayer. And for some reason, those are, were just some of the most desperate times. I finally, I finally get alone with God, and I just sit there and think, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to say. And clearly my prayers are not effectual and fervent because it's not happening. It's like a little pity party, honestly, between myself and, and me. And then, okay, well, this is kind of a last resort here. I'm just going to let the Spirit pray with groanings which cannot be uttered. Because to utter means to speak. For us to speak, it means to put words to what we're saying, what we're thinking, and, and speak them out of your mouth. So as long as I am praying in that method of prayer, I'm speaking words, this level of prayer is not reached. And so again, I'm thinking I've got to, it's going to have to take a desperate situation to produce this. Where does it say in there that in desperation, the Spirit produces intercession? At the last moment, the Spirit produces intercession. It's not in there. This is Paul just sharing what, I, what he's learned through prayer. I've learned that sometimes I pray in my native language. I've learned that sometimes I pray in an unknown language. I'm speaking in tongues when I do such. And sometimes I'm still praying, but there is no language being spoken. My language or otherwise. It's just groanings with no utterance behind them. And I've realized when I'm praying that way, the Spirit is making intercession for me. Not for my needs. Not for my case. In my place. The Spirit is making intercession in my place. Next verse. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit. He that searcheth the heart. Okay, don't, don't, don't let me lose you. I know I'm getting along here and, and we're making a lot of things. I'm throwing a lot at you. Don't miss this. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit. It does not say he's sitting there searching your heart and trying desperately to find what it is that you want to have prayed. 
That's not what it says. I, that's what I feel like sometimes. There's just so much in here, and I don't know how to get it out, so I'm going to try to start praying intercession or something like that. No, it simply says, the one, he, the one that searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit. It doesn't even say he's going to pray what he finds when he searches the hearts. Sorry if that upsets you. Because, oh, I think if I can feel something strong enough, if I can feel desperately enough, he's going to come to my rescue and he's going to put the effectual fervent prayer into action because he's going to sense how desperate I am to have this prayer prayed. No. He knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And he, through a vessel, that's you and I, he, through a vessel, can Pray. He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. If there's ever a prayer I want to be prayed, it is that prayer that is according to the will of God. Brother Vance, I don't want you praying for me to get a million dollars a week if it's not his will. I don't even want you praying for me to get $1,000 a week if it's not his will. He knows what I need. And he's going to pray it according to the will of God. Next verse. It almost feels like a transition into another thought. But keep this train of thought. Groanings, the spirit making intercession which, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Praying according to the will of God. The right things, the right way. It's the spirit praying. And then we see this verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. When I read that, I see an explanation of what the Spirit is praying. What's being accomplished when the Spirit can pray this way. Then I know all things are working together for good. When that kind of prayer is being prayed. When it's prayer, the one that searches the heart and knowing the mind of the Spirit can pray according to the will of God, all things are working together for good. For them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Why don't we stand? I'm going to come to a close here, and I want us to have a time of prayer. I believe the Lord is sharing some things with us to encourage us to pray.
I, I know that it's possible to be discouraged from praying. Whether it's circumstances, things just are not going well enough that I feel like I can pray. Discouragement. But I go back to what I said earlier. If I'm supposed to be praying always, at all times, then I don't get to use circumstances as an excuse. The Lord wants to pray His way through you and I. He wants to accomplish His will through our prayers. He does not want us thinking up stuff and praying it our way, on our own. Let's see, what would be good to pray for today? Well, what would be good to pray for right now? We're in church, we're at the end of service, and we, we put these, these qualifiers on what to pray and how to pray and when and why. When simply we should be yielding to him. If his words are abiding in me. If his words are abiding in me. If I am abiding in him. He's going to give the words to pray. He's going to give the situations to pray for. Last, last example here. Uh, several years back now. I was just going through my morning routine, getting ready for work, and the Lord put a, a family, a couple's name in my head. I know it was him. I had not seen them, thought of them, spoken to them, spoken about them in quite some time. There is no other way that just out of the blue, they're on my mind. It doesn't happen that way. I mean, I have random thoughts sometimes, okay? And, and they're, they, they're unexplicable. And, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking about how much cheese is too much cheese on a pizza. Uh, that's random. It's out of nowhere. But when the Lord prompts you, to pray, you begin to learn that, know that, sense it, and feel like, okay, that was not from me. What is, what is this thing? Why, why am I thinking about them? What could it be that I need to do in this situation? And in that situation, I simply yielded myself and started praying for them. I did not start by taking inventory of, well, when's the last time they were at church? Uh, what's going on in their family life right now? What are some of the d difficulties that they're... I didn't do that. I felt the prompt, and I started to pray. And I want the Lord to be able to do that all the time. Always. He can do that if I am praying without ceasing. He can do that if I am abiding in him. 
Let's pray. Father, Jesus, we need your will. We long for your will to be done. We want to see your kingdom furthered, Lord. We want to see it established here, Lord, in our city, in our homes, in our families. Jesus, we want to see your kingdom established, your will, God, your principles, your truth. God, we want to see your spirit at work. Jesus, we long to see you at work. We long to see, God, thy will be done. In the name of Jesus, we yield ourselves to you, Father. We yield ourselves to you as vessels, Lord Jesus. God, that you could work through, that you could operate through. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's let the Lord take us into a place of prayer tonight. I submit myself, Father. I surrender myself. God, I give my thoughts to you. God, I give my will to you, my actions, my words, Father. I yield it to you for your sake, for your kingdom. Jesus, that you would use me. Jesus, that you would speak through me, that you would pray through me, that you would accomplish your will through me, Father. I yield myself as a vessel to you. I yield myself as a vessel to you, Jesus. God, I sanctify myself right now. I set myself apart from the things that are not a part of you. Jesus, I want to be separated unto you. I want to be called out towards you, Jesus. God, I want to have a conscience that's listening to you. God, I want to have a spirit that's yielded to you. In the name of Jesus, In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I yield myself, Father. I lay my life down, Jesus. I lay my will down, Lord, my thoughts and my plans. In the name of Jesus, I just want to be a vessel for you to work through. I just want to be a vessel that you can use, Father. In the name of Jesus. The Old Testament tells a story of a, a miracle where a prophet says, go out and gather all the vessels that you can gather. As many as you can find and bring them into the house. You know, as many vessels as were brought into the house were made full in that miracle. 
what stopped the miraculous flowing was running out of vessels. I feel what he's, what he's speaking to us tonight, what he wants to impart and, and do through us, he will do through a vessel. We've gone out, we've, we've gathered, we've brought ourselves in. We, we say, I, I'm not much to look at. I don't have much, much qualifying talent, abilities. All I am is just a vessel. That's the good news because the value is not what's holding what's inside. The value is what's inside. When he can put his spirit in you, when he can flow through you in his own way, miraculous way, that's what's of value. That's what's needed. Brother Johnson, I'm going to turn this over to you. Can we just thank the Lord for the, his word tonight? Where he's taking us deeper. He's opening more avenues of relationship. Because this isn't, again, it's not based on religion. It's based on how close can I get to him. I can get as close as I want. And again, it, it, you know, if I started teaching on tradition, I'd get you all to shout. But how traditional are we in our prayer? Versus allowing that spirit to feed you what God's trying to do in your life and, and the answers and all that's coming to you. So we just want to open ourselves up. You may have to break some habits. You know what I'm saying? that Maybe I've done it a religious way. Now I want to walk in the spirit so that will cause me to come to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to pray for? Not my list. Not that the Lord won't take prayer requests, don't get me wrong. But, but what he's talking about is where the Lord can take me where he wants me. And I will see more of the spirit and power of God working because I'm yielding myself to what he is trying to lead me into. When we talk about the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, where would he order those steps other than we're in prayer somewhere? He can take me down that road, and he could allow me to go there. Amen? Remember the youth rally? Two o'clock Saturday is for everyone. It's, I know we use the word youth, but do not misunderstand that word. It'll be focused toward youth, but parents, all of us are be here, be supportive of our youth department and uh, Section 3. And, and um, Elder Flowers is also not only the, the, the elder here, but he is a Section 3 youth leader. So let's get behind him with that because uh, we get to host it. You know why you got to get behind it? Because you don't have to drive to Tri-Cities. <laughs> Thank God it's not in Walla Walla. <laughs> so you get to come and support it and bring our young people and get behind them. I believe there's pizza afterwards and stuff. I think there's a cost involved in that, but there's pizza and drink. There's different stuff like that that they will be doing. Um, I need to talk with Brother Matt real quick and Brother Kyle for anger management, uh, if I could here in just a moment. But let's just pray one more time. Let's thank the Lord. What's given you tonight is deep and rich. Because if it can help me get closer to God than I've ever been before, there's no price tag on that. 
That's what I came for, is, is a way to touch God in a real and a powerful way. Father, we thank you tonight. Lord, for the word of the Lord that has challenged us, Lord God, for the word of the Lord that, that has opened the eyes of our understanding of how I can become that person who's abiding in you and your word is abiding in me. And Lord, I want to be able to speak, but speak the words that you're giving me, the things that I need to say. Lord, I'm just asking for your help and your guidance and your blessings tonight in that wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Shake hands with someone. Let them know it's good to be in the house of the Lord.